This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hi, reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my Behind the Scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of At Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves, and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today, I'm chatting with Jessica Bryant-Klagman about This Impossible Brightness. This Impossible Brightness is a genre mashup that tackles many important topics such as grief, climate change, and how we move on. Jessica studied writing in Fairbanks, Alaska. Every good idea she's ever had came while she was running, so she tries to stay within sight of a mountain or canyon trail at all times. She and her family live in northern New Mexico. Her work has been published in environmental journals like Whitefish Review and Terrain.org. This is her debut novel. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Jessica. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am great as well, and I'm looking forward to chatting. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. Well, let's start out with you giving me a quick synopsis of This Impossible Brightness. Sure. This Impossible Brightness is a story about Alma Hughes, a woman who moves to a remote island in the North Atlantic after her fiancé disappears on a hiking trip. And Alma is the kind of person who would prefer to grieve alone, and she finds that she can't do that in her hometown with family and friends trying so hard to help her move on. 
So when she also learns that her dog is ill, she feels the need to leave everything behind. And so she gets on a boat with her dog, Jupiter, and sails to Violette, um, an island that is being lost to flooding um, due to climate change, but where there are fewer people and she can disappear into her sorrow as much as she'd like. But Alma finds that despite being as quiet and isolated as she hoped it would be, um, there are also some surprises there. So it's already a pretty strange place. It's a remote place. Um, there are frequent violent storms. It's flooded. A mountain takes up most of the island. Um, and beyond that, there is an abandoned radio tower at the top of this mountain that broadcasts messages from the past. There's sort of repeat echo broadcasts that come through the appliances in people's homes. And Shortly after Alma arrives, there's an intense storm and the tower is struck by lightning. And at that same moment, there are four people and one dog who die and become trapped in this loop of echoing broadcasts. And so Alma is in the unique situation of being the only one who can see or remember these people. And this turns out to be kind of the best of both worlds for her, for a time anyway, because she can have her solitude and also a sense of community. Although it could be argued um, that, and some of the characters in the, in the book do argue this, that her relationships with these people or ghosts are not quite the same as having a relationship with living people. So it's kind of about Alma trying to balance solitude and community. It's about her finding solace in the natural world again and kind of exploring what it means to let go. And so it's also about storytelling and listening and finding joy and lightness in difficult times. That is a fabulous synopsis because there's a lot going on in the story and you encapsulated it all so well. <laughs> Thank you. Well, how did you come up with, I was going to say the idea, but how did you come up with the ideas for this one? Yeah, it, it did kind of bring together a lot of different ideas that I kind of had floating around in my mind. I guess it started with Alma. I kind of had the idea for this character. I really wanted to write a story about what it was like to be a quiet, introverted person who also wants to make a difference in the world. And a lot of times it kind of feels like the the people who make a difference are just the kind of the loudest voices. And I kind of was frustrated by my own quietness. And I kind of wanted to write that story that um, how can somebody do something to make a difference in the world, even when they're kind of a quiet, introverted person. And so that was kind of the, the very beginning of it. And I started thinking about where to set the story, and I had a, a couple of different ideas before I, I landed on this North Atlantic, this fictional island in the North Atlantic. And then as that started to develop with the, the setting, I realized that the reality of, of being in that place right now actually includes climate change impacts. And so that kind of, that came into the story just kind of by way of the setting and yeah, and I, I wanted to write this, you know, book about storytelling and listening. And I had this idea too, that people talk a lot about how storytelling is kind of how we make sense of the world. Um, we tell stories to process things. And, and I was thinking, well, what is a story without somebody to listen to it? I really wanted to kind of focus on the idea of listening and listening to ourselves and listening to others and listening to nature. And, and so that, yeah, it just kind of all kind of came together as I was writing and kind of pulled in a lot of different ideas that I was thinking about at the time. Definitely. 
I guess I was so interested in this idea of four people dying and they don't realize they're dead initially, but then they they do come to terms with that. And then Alma being able to see them, but also being able to see all of the people that are alive and no one else can do that. And then the echoing. Yeah, the people dying and Alma being the only one that can see them was, you know, kind of going along with the idea of, of being quiet and introverted. Alma is also a very sensitive person. And I think, and again, coming from my own experience of, of being very sensitive and like being told many times, like you need to toughen up or, um, you know, it's the, you know, maybe there's something wrong with you for being so sensitive. And, and I thought, well, that's, you know, I wanted to kind of explore how being sensitive can actually be kind of like a superpower. And so Alma being able to see them or being the only one that can remember them is kind of a, it's kind of my way of, of dealing with that kind of her sensitivity is it allows her the ability to do that. And yeah, when I was thinking about the, the idea of these people being kind of being ghosts, I was out for a run one day and I heard what I thought was somebody behind me. And it turned out to actually just be um, echoes of my own footsteps. And I thought, oh my gosh, echoes. <laughs> That's what they are. They're echoes of, of people. And they're just sort of trapped in this, this sort of echoing loop. And then when I started reading about radio science and echo science, I was, it just kind of all came together. And, and I was just really fascinated by, by that idea that, that people could become an echo once they've, once they've passed on. It's a fascinating concept. It really made me think as I was reading. So I was kind of curious about that. And I mean, Alma is very quiet and she's an introvert, but she's really an empath as well. I mean, she feels other people's emotions. Yes, ab- absolutely. Yes. I wasn't sure of, of, about using that specific word, but that's absolutely what she is. Yeah, she, she's truly an empath. Um, she feels things very deeply and she feels things that she sees other people experiencing um, and she has all her life and she's kind of struggled with that. And so this is a place where she's kind of learning to see that as um, not something that kind of drags her down, um, that she can kind of, well, I guess throughout the book, she kind of explores how um, and learns how she can use that to her advantage and, and make good of it versus um, feeling kind of weighed down by it. And that was one of the reasons I felt that she might have headed to Violette was because if you're not in these huge crowds and large cities where you're just going to be constantly taking on other people's emotions she's going to have a much easier time in a smaller community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like, you know, people gr- all grieve in their own ways. And and her way of grieving is she doesn't want to, she feels like letting go is the same thing as forgetting. And so she wants to go where it's quiet, where it's, you know, there's solitude and she can just kind of be alone. Right. And kind of live with her grief for a while. That's what she wants to do. And she has her dog as well, who is also dying. And so she wants to be able to just experience that and not have other people around that are kind of constantly asking her to talk about her feelings. And then having her experiencing all of their feelings on top of that. Exactly. Yes. So this is a genre mashup, which we're seeing more and more of. And I love that. How would you characterize it? Yeah, I, I started out writing very literary fiction and I wrote short stories and 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 moving into the realm of a novel was kind of something really new for me. So I didn't think a lot about genre as I was writing. And I've always had this tendency towards magical realism. Uh, and so I I think I would categorize it as 
magical realism, speculative fiction that is um, kind of grounded in the real world, but there are some speculative elements to it. Yeah, I think it's it is a little bit of a mashup because it does feel like to me the ideas feel literary, but there's also kind of these magical elements to it as well. Right, and you've said it in the future a little bit as well. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did that make it tricky when you went to sell it? Um, I don't think so. To be honest, I I didn't get a lot of of feedback with, um, you know, when we went out on submission with the book, I didn't get a lot of, of feedback about the kind of genre being a, a problem, kind of where to put it on a shelf. My writing is, I guess I've, I think in the past I've had rejections kind of come in that say that it's too quiet. And I think that that's pretty fitting for, for me because I'm a very quiet person. And I do feel like my writing is, is at times very quiet. Um, but that, that tends to be more of a, an obstacle when trying to sell, I think, that people want there to be a lot more kind of movement and a lot, you know, kind of faster pace and a lot more happening. And and so I think the the mashup of genre wasn't as much of a problem. But I did have to like kind of add in some moments and and when in the revision process that were kind of, you know, getting characters kind of talking more and doing more together because it it was, it did kind of start out as a very quiet book. So I always enjoy quiet books and strong character development and strong setting. So that doesn't bother me. And really, the genre mashup doesn't bother me. But I know that in the publishing world, sometimes that can be a little difficult because they want to be able to slot it in somewhere. But I think that that's beginning to change. I do, too. I think it's actually kind of exciting. And I think it's kind of, for me, like that kind of mashup of genre is there's kind of a cinematic quality to it. Like I can kind of see when I read books like that and are kind of like mixing different storytelling methods. Um, I can, they seem, they feel more visual to me and I can kind of, I really experience them differently. And I, I think that that's kind of exciting and that makes me happy that that's something that is kind of changing, um, that you can kind of, you can find more books like that these days. I agree completely. I'm always on the lookout for things that are unique or different. And so genre mashups definitely usually are. So let's talk a little bit about the climate change and then the date you chose to set the story. How did you decide on your time frame and why did you want to pull climate change into the story? Yeah, the climate change aspect. So I didn't, I really didn't set out to write a book about climate change. And I was really careful because I didn't want the climate change aspects to overshadow the emotional kind of human elements of the story. The climate change part kind of came in, like, as I said before, the the setting um, being set in the North Atlantic is a place, you know, it's a place where the flooding and frequent storms is kind of a, a reality of just living there now. And so that was something I felt like realistically I needed to to put in there. And it also just, it worked well as well, as well because it, it, you know, setting the book there and having Alma go away to this place that is, um, everyone's leaving <laughs> right now, at least right now in the the present of the story was just something that it worked really well with the the plot of the story. But as far as, as the climate change aspects, um, you know, I did research kind of what people would do to prevent flooding. Um, but then I also had to kind of set that against the reality that they've been left behind. So it's a, a, a different kind of unique situation where um, they've decided to stay here, even though there is, uh, you know, the threat of flooding. And the threat that they, you know, they may lose their town at some point. Um, but then in staying there, they're kind of on their own. And so while they have some 
of those preventative measures, they they also are kind of on their own. And so they don't have as many resources. And and so, yeah, the, the idea of setting it in the future, it jumps, timelines kind of jump. And, and I think I wanted to try and show Alma connecting with people over time. And I wasn't quite sure how to do that at first. Um, you know, I didn't want to write these long scenes. Then I, I kind of wanted to figure out a way to kind of jump forward and show her in different moments throughout her life on this island. And so I, I set, you know, the timelines are set to when she, you know, chooses to kind of let go of each of these people that she's um, becoming quite attached to. And so we, you know, it was kind of based on how much time I felt like she needed to to really like develop a relationship with them. And it depended on the per- on, on each of the characters, you know, the first one is is the the man who convinces her to to kind of help them move on to where you know where they're going next, <laughs> and um, and and he serves his purpose in that you know part of the story. But she grows to become friends with one of the other women, and that takes you know a certain amount of time. But then I, I really wanted her to develop to develop a, a relationship with the sort of final person that she needs to to let go of, and that like, you know, just take some time. And I, I thought about setting it, you know, I had kind of set it a little closer, you know, a couple of years for each person. And then I was, I was talking to my husband one day and he was like, you need to like end this book with like way in the future, <laughs> just like drastically change the setting and, and show something very different. And so I was like, well, that, I don't know. I don't want to, <laughs> almost be old by then. And I wasn't sure about that, but it ended up being like a kind of a brilliant idea. I was really I was really excited about about getting the opportunity to write part of the book that takes place in 2060. So yeah, it was it was really one of the most fun parts of of writing the book was figuring out how to separate those timelines and and then, you know, jump really far into the future. But starting with 2025 because I'm not familiar with this part of Canada, but I mean, is that that soon? Is that stuff happening? Roads are collapsing and all of that? That does ha- that is happening now. Huh. Yes, it's a very, it's definitely a reality um, already. And, you know, there were actually just so over the summer, there were some really terrible floods that were taking place in um, Nova Scotia. And there, were, there was like really damaging and a lot of people lost homes. And, and so, yeah, it, it's definitely already happening there. And so, you know, I kind of tried to imagine what would happen. And I, my research is, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not an expert in climate change or any of the effects of climate change. But I, um, I'd like to, you know, use that research as a place to kind of jump off and find, you know, magical realism there. So getting the opportunity to kind of think about what might be in the future um, was, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what, what will happen or, you know, too, too much about what is projected to happen. But I do know that it's not, it's not a great outlook for that part of the world. And so I just wanted to kind of imagine and tell that story because it's um, one way of, of looking at the current situation. Absolutely. And that is so frightening. I'm just not familiar with that part of Canada at all. I've never <sighs> been there and haven't looked up what's happening there. But as I was reading that, I'm thinking, Ugh. but I love these stories that do use climate change as a backdrop. It's not the focus of the story, mm-hmm. but it is a backdrop as another story is unfolding. Because I think it's important for people to know these things are actually happening now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the power of books, uh, you know, in that 
respect is, you know, they can show this world and they can get people to think about it. And, and they can do it in a way that's not, you know, the kind of like depressing report that you, you might see of what's going to happen. If we don't change our ways, literature can, you know, lift people up and, you know, make people think about things a little bit more. And I agree completely. So dealing with death plays a big role. We've already talked a little bit about that. Alma really struggles with her grief and with letting go. I, I just felt for her. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a story of grief um, and it's a story of, of letting go. It's also, you know, it's also a story of hope. In my opinion, it's a big story of hope. And, you know, what I, one of the things that I really loved about, about this write, with the writing process here was once my editor sent me revisions for the book, um, she suggested that I add more hope. And I very ignorantly thought that that meant that I had to give everyone a happy ending. And I thought, no, that's not, that's not what I want to do here. It's not me. You know, that's not what Alma needs. And, and then I started to think about it. And, and the scenes that I started to write to kind of add this hope into the book, I started to realize how, just how ignorant I had been because they were some of my favorite scenes once I was done. Um, because there were these scenes of people, you know, having connection in the middle of tragedy. And so they ended up just being, yeah, it was like, I realized that, you know, hope isn't just everybody gets a happy ending. It's about the possibility of happy endings. And so, you know, it's actually a brave thing to have hope in the middle of difficult times. That was just kind of one of my favorite parts of writing it was, was having that realization that, you know, hope and I like the word lightness, I think even better than the word hope, because there's this wonderful essay that I've read um, that I've loved for a long time by Italo Calvino, and it's called Lightness. And it's really about like how we can look at the world with lightness. And he, you know, the, the opposite of lightness is not darkness, it's weight in this case. And so it's about not letting the world kind of weigh you down and not ignoring it and not, you know, denying that, that the weight exists, but finding a way to look at the world with a different perspective and, and, and look at it with lightness. And so that's kind of, that was, you know, one of the, it's an attitude towards life to look at the world that way. And so that was kind of what I was hoping to do, you know, it, to balance the, the darkness or the weight of letting go of grieving someone with this possibility of hope and of joy um, and of lightness. And of connection. I mean, I think that's what really helps her is the connections that she makes. Yes, absolutely. And it was, like, like I said, one of, one of my favorite things about writing it was figuring out how she can, how she could connect to, to each of these different people in, in, you know, meaningful ways. And because it becomes for her connecting with these, these ghosts, these echoes of, of people, it becomes too easy for her to do that. You know, they don't ask a lot of her. Like you said, she's an empath. She doesn't feel anything from them. You know, that it, it becomes very easy for her to be with them because she doesn't feel their emotions. They don't, you don't really have any. Right, right. So it becomes very easy for her to retreat and withdraw from, from her community because she can spend her time with these people. And it's almost like being in a community. It's almost like having connection, but it's just easy for her. But it turns out that that's not actually the most helpful thing. It's not, 
you know, the necessarily the thing that she needs. And so she, you know, has to learn um, how to you know, re-inhabit her world, the world of people, the world of the living, and really make connections with people. She has family on this island that while they respect her her need to be alone, they're also, you know, they're also people that she could potentially, you know, have connections with, be friends with. They're her family. And so she kind of ends up having to put herself in those situations again and yeah, find find ways to connect again. Yes. Instead of staying with the echoes and not really feeling what she should be feeling and moving forward. Yes, exactly. Well, before we wrap up, Jessica, I would love to hear what you have read recently that you really liked. Sure. There's so many. I I really I'm going to I'm going to recommend a, another ghost story. I really loved the book The Comet Seekers by Helen Sedgwick. It's just a really beautiful lyrical book. I guess if if we're looking at quiet books, it's a it's a pretty quiet book, but it's um it's just so beautiful. It's about a woman who's studying comets in Antarctica. Um, and a man who, with whom she's sort of cosmically connected. So the there are multiple timelines in it that kind of follow different comets that are um, passing through the sky at the time. So that's kind of how the the structure is is made. And and yeah, so it's just it's a really beautiful story. Another book that I really loved was The Bear um, by Andrew Krivak. And the, there's an actually a quote from The Bear uh, is as an epigraph to this impossible brightness. Um, and it's a it's a post-apocalyptic story, but it's told in a very fable-like way, sort of myth-like. People don't have names. It's about a, a girl and her father who are presumably the last people on earth. And it's uh, about, well, she, she encounters a bear that speaks to her. And so it's, um, it's a really short book and it's very different from anything I've ever read, but it was just really beautiful as well. And and then I think one other book that I really loved too, which was, it's a collection of essays. It's called All We Can Save. I don't know if you've read that, but it's a collection of essays about climate change by women from many different backgrounds. They're artists and scientists and activists. And it just gives, every essay gives a different perspective um, on what we can do about climate change. And it's really like the epitome of the lightness that I was talking about, it really shows like a hopeful way to look at the situation. And so I really loved it for that. And I I listened, actually listened to it on audio most of the time while I was out running. And um, it's, I would definitely recommend it on audio. The the voices were amazing. And yeah, it was just a really beautiful book full of hope. So I would recommend that as well. I'm going to add that one to my list. And as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if it's good on audio. And then you answered that for me before I even had to ask, because that sounds like one I would enjoy listening to. Oh, yeah. I would I would say that I would recommend it on audio even, you know, before reading it. It was just, I, I like I said, I listened to it on my run. And I think I stopped, like, every, every time I went out there running while I was listening to it, I think I stopped every single time just, like, to cry for a little bit, because it was just, every essay was just so beautiful. And so so full of hope. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great, great. The narrators are um, amazing. So I would definitely recommend that on audio. Okay, great. Well, good. I always love when I can add something to my list. Well, thank you so very much for chatting with me today, Jessica. I so appreciate it. And I can't wait for this impossible brightness to make its way out into the world. 
Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From A Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From A Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.